Today I want to talk about relationships. You know, you are who you are because of the people that you hang around with, because of your relationships. Your parents, your friends, your co-workers, your spouse, your kids, they all influence how we behave and how we act and how we talk and the things that we do in life. And I think for most of us, it's worked out pretty well. We have some good relationships. They've keeping us strong. They sharpen us really well. And uh, it's worked out really good. But we've all had in this room bad relationships. Relationships that haven't gone well. Marriages that have fallen apart. Maybe are in distress right now. It just, just hasn't gone well for us. And we carry the hurt that goes along with it. We carry pain that goes along with it. And I think a part of that is the hurt begins to jade us. And it keeps us from the meaningful relationships that God wants to have with us. And it keeps us away from the meaningful relationship that God has planned for us with people in this congregation. And sometimes our hearts become callous to other people because we've been hurt. And we think, you know what, if people have let me down and they've dropped the ball or stabbed me in the back or treated me this way, then you know, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to go the extra mile for anybody anymore. As a matter of fact, I'm not going to be concerned about too much more of anybody, I'm just going to be concerned about, about me, about myself. And some of you have discovered that when you get focused on self, really nothing else matters around you. And so things become disposable really quick. Relationships become disposable. You, you have a tough time in your marriage, and, and now you're contemplating that maybe your marriage is disposable, and your spouse is disposable. Or maybe you have a kid that has gone renegade, he's gone rogue, he's running away from the very things that you have taught, taught her, and now, in your mind, she is nearly disposable to you. Or maybe it's the, the, the job that you have, your boss has come in, he's usually a pretty nice guy, but this time, he got a little gruff with you, and you think, you know what, I don't have to take this, I'm out of here. And your job's become disposable to you. And I've met more and more people that have everybody around them, but they're lonely. You know, McCartney wrote the song, uh, Eleanor Rigby. Remember the main line? Ah, look at all the lonely people. And it just grieves our heart to realize that in this crowd of people, you can have all the acquaintances in the world, but, but you're alone in this world. And there's people that have surrounded you, but, but you really don't have any kind of meaningful re- relationship with them. You know, the old advice is, If you want good friends, you're going to have to be a good friend. Uh, If you want to, what you put into a relationship is what you're going to get out of the relationship. And we have to remember that as we go through this world that people aren't just going to be flocking themselves to us. They're not just going to come to us because we are who we are. You're going to have to put some investment into it. And friends, God wants you to have the greatest relationship with Him first. He wants you to have the greatest of relationships with Him first, but He wants you also to have productive and strong and meaningful relationships with people that are right here in this room with you. You know, the book of Proverbs is a collection of sayings from a a man by the name of King Solomon. And those those collections of Proverbs have to do a lot with relationships. Uh, Solomon obviously saw that he had to have some more meaningful relationships than just the average common acquaintance. And so he exalted his friendships to a, to a new level of, of bonding himself to them. One of his proverbs says it like this, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. If you don't have friends that are like glued to you, and they're just kind of wishy-washy, or if you're that way, 
You can't go through life alone. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Some of you have found that friend already, that, that friend that seems closer to you, that family you never thought it could be possible. God had that plan for you to, to not go through life alone. But some of you haven't found that friend. You haven't given your heart up to them. You haven't opened up your life to them. You're, you're not being a part of their world, and they're not a part of your world. And, and you long for that, but yet there's some fearfulness that goes along in you, like, can I ever have that again? And I think one of the things that keeps us away from friendships is our fearfulness and sometimes we feel like we're too independent we can go at it alone in the book of genesis chapter 2 god had created adam and he created all the creatures he created the entire world and god looks down on adam and here's what he says it's not good for man to be alone so i'll make him a suitable helper and so he creates eve and Eve is this beautiful woman that comes out of Adam. Now, she's called woman because she comes out of man. And for any of you in here that believe that men and women aren't compatible, guess what? You've bought into a lie of modern psychology. Because God says we are compatible. We are able to uniquely come together and be united with each other and help one another in ways that men can't help men and women can't help women. We need the opposite sex. And God created Eve for Adam. And Eve was this helper and this mate and this, this sustainer and this person that would love him and go and walk with him all through life. And uh, some of you women in here, you think, you know, I know what happened on that day when God created Eve. Uh, he, he looked down at Adam and he kind of scratched his head and he said, gosh, I can do so much better than that. And, and here's Eve. <laughs> and I think some of you in this room, though, you're just fearful to give your heart over to somebody. You've been hurt and the pains of the past, you maybe haven't been accepted. You haven't been accepted since junior high school and, and now you, that's just stayed with you and you've carried all that burden. Will I ever feel accepted again? And so you won't, go, you, it's no, you won't even go to company parties or picnics anymore. You stay away from class reunions and family reunions because it hasn't gone well for you. You just kind of shut yourself off to people and you don't want to feel the hurt again like you once had felt in a relationship. Some of you stay away from congregational events. Let's talk church for a second. Let's just talk about who we are in this room as spiritual people and as, as people that were called to be together and live life together. You know, half of you in this room, you don't have any meaningful relationships with anybody in this congregation. You don't have any meaningful relationships with anybody that shares your faith even. And you think you can go through it all alone. And you hear me say things like this last three weeks, I've said, get involved in a small group and that scares you to death. That's the last thing you want to do. Because you have this idea of what a small group is like. You, you're, you're probably thinking, I'll arrive at the small group, knock on the door, everybody will already be there. There'll be a big circle of chairs around in someone's living room that I'm, I don't even know who these people are, and there'll be one empty chair in the middle of the circle, and that will be my chair. And all they'll want to do is have me confess my sins to the entire group and lay hands on me and speak in tongues or something. And, and, and they're going to say things like hallelujah and praise the Lord and I'm new to the faith or I'm just discovering who God is. This seems like a total turnoff to me. And when you want to leave, you'll find your, your car trapped in by the other cars and you're thinking, I can't even get out of here, you know? And you're thinking, small group is the last thing that I want to do. But you're going to find the most meaningful relationships with people who meet right under this roof with you and share your common beliefs. You know, you're probably thinking, those people will be judgmental. They won't be. No, they won't. They'll be, they'll be understanding. They, they're going through life like you're going. they got issues. 
Isn't it great to match up with people who have other I got kid issues, I got family issues, I got financial issues, I got home issues, and I get to meet with people who have those issues. And some of you are in this room, you're thinking, gosh, I, I don't have any kind of issue. Guess what? That's your issue. You think you don't have any issues. And this church is a spiritual hospital, and we're filled with people that have all kinds of problems and all kinds of pains and hurts and backgrounds, and we've come to Christ, and we're realizing that we can be new creations, but we're really, we're really trying to break away from the old bonds of our past life. And there are other people filled in that room that are in the same way. C.S. Lewis had a great definition of what it's like when, uh, when we become friends with one another. He said, Friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. You know, small groups, Bible fellowship classes, as the church becomes larger, we're going to have to get smaller. And that's where you're going to find people that can say to you, What? You too? I thought I was the only one who had that issue. You're going to be able to connect with somebody on a, on a meaningful level that goes beyond a casual acquaintance. Doesn't that sound good? That's what God wants for your life. Ephesians, or Ecclesiastes chapter 4, in verse 8, it says, There was a man all alone. little story from, from King Solomon again. He had neither son or brother, so he has no family around him is what he's saying. There was no end to his toil, so he decided, since I don't have family, I'm going to invest myself into my work. I'm going to stay busy. And since he did that, his eyes were not content with his wealth. So he made all this money because he had all this time because he didn't have any friends. Now he's like, what do I do with all this money? I got no one to spend it on but me. And so I have no friends. I got no, my work was in vain. I should have invested into friendships rather than investing into my job. So let me say it like this. Don't let your past experiences of what's happened in your past with friendships or relationships hold you back from starting new friendships, meaningful friendships today. And don't let your excuse about your temperament stand in the way either. Some of you say, well, I'm an introvert. But you know God ha wants you to have a relationship with more than your cat, right? You, under you understand that. Some of you say, I'm just too busy. Well, guess you're going to get what the man of Ecclesiastes had there for a moment. And instead of being too busy, why not spend some time building meaningful relationships with other people? You know, Satan wants for you to have nobody in life. He wants you to feel lonely and beside yourself. He wants you to feel like you've got nothing to contribute and no one who to love you. That's how he wants you to feel. Some of you who have broken up with a spouse, you're divorced now, and you didn't see eye to eye, and you look back on it, and maybe there's a tinge of regret to it, and you're saying, I, maybe we could have worked. That's exactly what Satan wants for your life. He wanted you. You know there was more in that, that marriage than you and your spouse. Satan was wanting that to break up. He doesn't want you to have a good marriage. He's that friend that you thought was going to be a forever friend that somehow now it's on the rocks and you, you just don't have that compatriotness that you once had. Uh, Satan wanted that for you. He wants you to feel vengeful. He wants you to feel that, that you can't find forgiveness for that person, that you'll never have love for that person. But that's, that's not what God wants. That's not what God wants for your life. Let's find out what he wants for our lives. Turn with me to 1 Peter we're going to look at chapter 4 together. We're going to start in verse 7, and we're going to discover what it is, at least three things that God has for our lives when it comes and can be applied to our relationships. And from there, we're just going to springboard off into some things that will help us out to apply this to our life. 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm going to start on verse 7. The end of all things is near, Peter starts out with. You know, it's crazy that he says that because that was nearly 2,000 years ago, and here Peter 
an apostle of Jesus Christ is saying the end of all things is near, the world's almost over, and we're 2,000 years removed from it? Do you know that this generation, this generation right now, is one of the first generations where there has to be nothing else accomplished for Christ to come? There's no prophecy that, that, that has to be fulfilled. A hundred years ago, that couldn't have been said. This generation, we don't have to wait for anything else to unfold. We just have to sit and say, Maranatha, which means come, Lord Jesus, come. And uh, so here's what I think we should be doing. We should get busy creating our relationship with the Lord and uh, encouraging each other to do the same. And so that's what Peter's doing. Verse 8, above all, love each other deeply. That's number one. That's what we're to do, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. you got to have somebody in your life that's willing to say, I'm, I'm with you through thick and through thin, and I love you despite yourself. I love you even though you have faults, even though you have problems. Verse 9, offer hospitality to one another. That's number two. So love each other, offer hospitality. That's more than opening up your home. A monkey could open up their home. He's saying you got to open up your life. You, you've got to be willing to share your life with other people. And, and, and really uh, get personal with one another. Now, that doesn't happen right off the bat. That's going to take some time, but that's what hospitality is. Verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others. That's number three. Love each other, open up your life, and serve one another. Serving one another really shows your heart. It shows your love for each other. And he says, verse 11, if anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Christ Jesus. To him, to God be the glory and the power forever and ever. And let's say this last word, amen. That word means so be it. Like that's a prayer. May God get the glory for our friendships because we're loving each other deeply. We're opening our lives to each other and uh, we're able to serve one another. And, uh, you know, we're called to do those things. And that God has some desires for your life. He has some desires for your relationships like this. God desires that I nurture my important relationships, that we nurture our important relationships. You know, God has made me to be a, a husband. He's made me to be a father. He's made me to be a pastor. He's made me to be some other things. But those three things are, in my life, at least the very most of importance um, and I just have to tell you that my relationship with my wife is, is second only to my relationship with the Lord. It, it comes before my kids, even. And it comes before all of you. And I want you to know that my kids are more important than all of you. Uh, and I, I've got to put that as a priority in my life. And I've got to make sure that that's a, a, an area that I can say, this is off limits. I don't want to sacrifice my kids for the sake of the church. I don't want to have kids that are heading to hell, but 100 people that are heading to heaven. I'd rather have my kids in heaven with me. Sorry, guys, but that's just, that's right now where I stand in all this. And I don't want to sacrifice my kids at the altar of this church. And, just, and I'm so lucky that I have uh, a blessed, I'm blessed to have some elders and staff members that look at me and they just said, you need to be with your family. You need to go home and be with your wife. You don't need to be, you know, I'll take care of this. You go home and be with your kids. That's a good place. That's a good place to be. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a congregation that, understands that my first ministry comes to my wife and my second ministry comes to my kids and my kids get whatever leftover time my wife doesn't get and, and you guys get whatever leftover time my wife and kids don't get and uh, what I love about parenting yeah there's some things I love about parenting I never thought I'd say that but I, there's some things I love about parenting is that I get to spend time with my wife and my kids and we get to do things together and uh, it helps me to remember that my relationships to those two groups are super important and that I need to have 
uh, a nurturing aspect to them. Some of us live a life like this. We wait till things are broken to, to fix our relationships. You wait till your marriage is broken until you start to fix some things in, in your life. And that's just not the way God intended this to work. He wanted you to have some preventative care. I mean, you don't wait, do you, till your oil light comes on to change your oil. You try to change it every 3,000 miles. Some of you in here wait to change your oil when the oil light comes on. But that's not preventative care. That's not preventative maintenance. Some of you need to you know, enrich your marriage. It's not that it's bad. You just need to strengthen your marriage. Find some enrichment uh, uh, things to go to, find some seminars to attend, take your, take your spouse out on a date and talk about something other than your kids and talk about something other than your work, talk about each other, try to get to know each other. What about these families, that, these marriages that have been 20, 30 years and they're broken up? We're, we're seeing this, all. this is like an epidemic. And what has happened is kids have gone to school, mom, dad, they haven't had this relationship with each other, they've had their relationship with the kids. And now they've realized, who is this stranger I'm going to bed with every night? And over time, the relationship is just split apart when it was supposed to intertwine. And now over time, they don't have no idea who one another are anymore. You know what they were doing? They weren't putting a log on the fire. They let the fire die out. There was no preventative care. You, you put the log on the fire so that the fire continually burns. When it comes to my wife, she's above my kids. When it comes to my work, my kids are above you all. And I just hope it stays that way so I can nurture my relationships best. But I know for some of you, it hasn't stayed that way. You've put hobbies before, before your marriage. You put kids before work. And I'm, I'm telling you, you got to set up a priority in your life and, and go with it. And I think as some of you in this room, you have, you have a handful of influence too, that you can nurture some of the relationships that I can't nurture. You, you, you meet with powerful people. You're a politician, you're a public servant, you're a teacher, uh, you are someone that is just wealthy, and because of that, you associate with other people who are extremely wealthy, or you, you have a connection, you're one move away from someone that just has a, a ton of pull in this country or this world. How about using your influence and nurturing those relationships for the cause of Christ so that their world is changed, so that maybe this world could be changed and this nation could be changed? You ever thought about using your influence to nurture those kinds of relationships? Man, God's got so much in store for you as what you can do with the people that associate and that are in your circle that you can do for Christ. Here's the second thing. God desires that I restore my broken relationships. Some of you knew this was coming and you're dreading it. Uh, You knew that somewhere in this journey, Matt would say, hey, look, we got to get our broken relationships back up to par. But you say, Matt, look, You have no idea how badly I've been hurt. My entire life has been ruined by this person. Trust has been destroyed. It's just never going to work out like it used to work out. My request is is not that you get the relationship back that you once had, because it may not ever get back to that pinnacle moment. Probably won't ever get back to that pinnacle moment if you've been hurt that badly. Here's the request. My request, God's request. This This is biblical request. Forgive and live at peace. That's the request. You know, the pain of unresolved conflict is greater than the pain of solving it. We all dread having the conversation with somebody. I'm hurt. How can we mend it? So we just let it linger. We throw it underneath the rug and we act or pretend like it never happened. But the hurt of that and carrying that pain is more hurtful than actually trying to solve it. We, 
We used to meet with a guy named Phil Ling. Phil Ling is this real impressive figure. He was president of development for the Billy Graham Association. Uh, he was president of Enjoy, John Maxwell's company. And Phil uh, and myself, we used to meet along with a handful of other guys. He gave us tons of advice about how to be good leaders in a church, how to use our finances wisely. And the best advice I got, I wrote it down in the book, out of all the advice he gave us was this. Have the conversation or confrontation with somebody as quickly as possible because you'll never regret it. But you'll always regret putting it off or never having it at all. Like you struggle saying, I really need to call him. I should write. And the next day, I really need to call him. I should write. Well, guess what? You had yesterday to call him or to write him. That's what he's saying. The Bible puts it like this. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. I hear old couples say that as advice all the time. I wonder how often they really live it out, you know? But that's the idea. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Solve it. Say to somebody, don't, wait, don't be insistent that that person has hurt you and that you're waiting for them to come to you and ask for, no, no, that's probably not going to happen. You approach that person and say, you know what? I'm real wounded here. I've been hurt by what was said or what has been done. And maybe we can try to make this relationship better again. And so don't hold on to it. Don't, don't try to be vengeful with it or spiteful. As a matter of fact, the Bible puts it like this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. So don't look for revenge. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Now let's say this whole sentence together, okay? Here we go. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't you love the Apostle Paul's clause? Like there's some people that are going to cause war with you. They want nothing to do with you. They, they're just going to fight and fight and fight with you. And you're not going to be able to have peace with them, but you can try to have peace with them, but they're just not going to want it. If it's possible, as long as it depends on you, you live at peace with them. It might have to be removing yourself from the situation or just saying, Father, I forgive them for whatever goes on, but I'm just going to give it over to the Lord. I heard about this story about a, a married couple that was celebrating 50 years of marriage. Family was in, grandkids were just in awe of it because they were mostly newlyweds and they were asking grandma, Grandma, how is it that you put up with grandpa for 50 years? And so grandma said, the secret of success, she said, it's easy. When we first got married, I made a decision to list out the 10 greatest faults of your grandfather and I just said, I'm going to overlook those 10 faults. So her grandkids were just dying to know, what were those 10 faults of grandpa? And she said, I never made the list. Every time he did something, I just thought, lucky for him, that's one of them. That's it. How, how different would your life be if you just started looking at your friendships and said, lucky for them, that's one of them. How would that change the way you relate to people? If you just say, this is in God's hands, I'm going to live at peace the best I can. I'm going to look over some faults here and I'm going to rely on God's grace. I've got faults too. My relationships aren't perfect and uh, for lucky for them, that's one of them. And I'm just going to go on and hope the Lord resolves my heart about what's happening. Here's the third thing. God's desire is that I sever any harmful relationships. You know, you're mixed up maybe in a flirtatious relationship with your friend's spouse. Stop it. You're, you're maybe living with somebody who you're not married to, yet you're acting like you're married. End it. Sever those relationships that are harmful to you and to your relationship with the Lord. It could be you've made friends with the wrong friends. Guess what? Make some new friends right here in this congregation. Proverbs says, wise friends make you wise. 
but you hurt yourself by going around with fools. You ever heard the saying, birds of a feather flock together? My mom used to say that one all the time. I had no idea what she meant. Solomon clears it for me. You hang out with wise people, you're going to get a little bit wiser. They're going to rub off on you. Hang around with fools, Matt, you're going to get a little bit more foolish. I don't have more foolishness I can get. You know, friends, you know friends who've gotten mixed up maybe in the wrong crowd, and you think, I never thought they would do that. I never thought they would say those things, do those things, act this way, and then there they are, they're acting this way, saying these things. You thought, what's come over them? How did this happen? Here's what I found out. We're all chameleons, in a sense. Psychology tells us that we have a mob mentality. We, we take up with the crowd. We take on the values of the crowd, even though they aren't shared values. I know there's some of you that have like this noble attitude that you'll walk into an environment maybe of a past life and you think that you're strong enough, tough enough, and, and dedicated enough to the Lord that there's no way they're going to rub off their old values onto you. But there are so few people that can actually change the culture of the crowd. Few people that can do that. So maybe you're walking away from an, a time of drug use and you're a new person, new creation in Christ, but you still have friends that are using drugs. It's just a matter of time, I'm telling you, before their virtues begin to influence you again. You don't believe me? Listen to what the Bible has to say in 1 Corinthians. It says, do not be misled. Let's say it together. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. Young people, make smart decisions. You're in junior high or high school or college. Make smart decisions about who your friends are going to be. If they don't share your faith, if they don't share your values, guess what? They're your acquaintances. They're not going to be meaningful friends to you. You just draw the line in the sand. When it comes to seeking out a mate in life, you make sure that you share the same faith. You're not going to change him, girls. You're not. Men are unchangeable. They don't even change their underwear every day. Why do you think you can change their lifestyle? It's not going to happen. So make sure that they share the same faith, the same virtues, and the same, same core issues of your heart. It's just not going to happen where you think you can, you can change them. You know, I met a young couple here recently. They gave me a call. They said, you know, we just started coming to your church in the last couple of months. We love what's going on. And uh, we, have, we have work friends, and we have friends from school, and we have old drinking friends, but we don't have any, I love how they put it, we don't have any faith friends. What a great statement. I never heard of it like that. Thought it was great. And what, what they were saying was, we have this like little group of friends here, little group of friends here, little group of friends here, but we have this big hole in our heart for God. And they don't have it. I mean, they, they, don't, they don't have this need for God in their life. But we do. But we don't have anybody else who shares that same need and that same passion. So we started coming to this church because they said they, they noticed a wealth of young people here. They got themselves involved in a small group and they said, we're on our way to making meaningful relationships to find some friends that share our core values to find some faith friends. Guess what? Those are going to be the friends that are going to be parting it up with them here on earth and in, in heaven also. And some of you need to get into that kind of a story. I need some faith friends, some people that share my core values, which leads to the last thing. God desires that you and I initiate meaningful relationships. That's what it comes down to, that we initiate meaningful relationships. Some of you don't have them, but you need them. And the most meaningful relationships that you're ever going to find are found right in this room. When I moved from California to Indiana, I never thought I'd have close friends again. And my heart was torn up about that because I thought, my friends are so close to me in California. These are like brothers from other mothers you know we are so close we'll never be this close ever again i'll never have this kind of relationship 
And it wasn't until God began to open my heart, work within my heart, and I began to be hospitable to people and love people and begin to serve people. I have, I have men in this congregation that are closer to me than any brother I've ever had. My wife and I have discovered family in this room that are closer to us than our own family. And we never thought that for ourselves. But God had that plan for us long ago. And in this room, God has that same plan for you, but you got to just start loving people, open up your heart to people, and start serving people, and knowing that God has somebody here to share in these common interests. They have issues, they want to go through life with you, and they have faith, Christ, at the core of all things. You can have some meaningful relationships in your life. And I think that's why you ought to put a premium on worshiping every Sunday here. And put a premium on joining a small group or a Bible fellowship class and getting a part of a servant-led team that you can be a part of. Hebrews chapter 12, or verse 10, verse 20, sorry, Hebrews 10, verse 25 says, do not give up meeting together because some of us are in this habit of not coming. We just come when we want to. It's probably because you don't have anybody close here to want to connect with. And I, can I even say, and don't hate me for this, you may not even be close to the Lord. That's why you don't even show up. There's not even that relationship. But encourage one another all the, the more as you see the day approaching, the day of Christ's return approaching. So we need to encourage each other to be a part of this place. Not for the sake of numbers, but for the sake of being a part of a larger group that shares a commonality of Christ's centeredness towards our life. It's healthy to be in those relationships. My request to you has been this series to get involved. Give me a year of your life and get involved in this church. Join a small group, be a part of serving, uh, get into worship, and just run the whole track for a year. And, and, and then just come back and tell me if, you're, if your spiritual life is better or worse than it was this time a year, a year from now. You just tell me. Is it worse or, or not? Because I guarantee you it will, be, it will be better if you just run the track that the leadership has laid out for spiritual development. Join a small group. Evan Nave is going to be here by the cross in just a moment. And he's going to give you an opportunity to pray with him, to talk about Christ, baptism, whatever it is. And if you want to talk about small groups with him, he'll be there. But you can probably just mark it on the back of your communication card. I'm interested in a small group. I mean, who doesn't want to be loved on, known by name, asked important questions that go beyond the exterior? You know, UCLA did some research a few years ago. They found out that we need eight to ten meaningful touches a day. That's not physical touches necessarily. It helps. But touches like, how was your day today? I'm, I'm genuinely asking. How are your kids doing? I'm genuinely asking. How are you doing? How, how, are you, how are you overcoming that thing that we prayed about last week? Genuine touches. Some of you don't even get that in a week's time. And you can get ten right on, on a small group night. You can get 10 on a Sunday morning. There's 20. We all need this this nurturing that goes along with relationships. Join a team. Teams are so important. You know you can get more done with a team than you can trying to achieve something alone. If you've never been on a team, a sports team or a team at work that does things together, an ideas team, a brainstorm, you need to be a part of a team because there is something that happens where you can collaborate together, you can work towards a common goal together, you can have things happening, or you can just have successes and say, well done, this is good stuff, and there's a celebration. Our children's ministry team, parking team, traffic team, technology team, hospitality team, you need to get a team. And just get around some people, that share your common faith, share your love for the Lord, 
And you can accomplish things and celebrate things. But let me tell you about the most important relationship that you can have. You know what it is. It's the relationship you have with God. That's the most important thing. That's what's got to be nurtured the most. And that's what anything that gets you in the way of your relationship with the Lord has to be severed. And you need to become running to the Lord. Why? Because He wants to be a father to you. He wants to be an amazing father to you. He wants to be a friend to you. He laid down His Son's life so that He can be a friend with you. Christ Jesus is His friend request towards you. He's saying, I have gone as far as I could possibly go of shedding my blood for you, laying down my life for you so that we can have this relationship like you never thought you could have before with the creator of this world. The creator of this world wants to be your friend. He could live anywhere in this world, but he wants to live in your heart. In Jesus Christ, the, the night before he was betrayed and handed over to the, to the cross, or the, before he was handed over the cross, the night he was betrayed, he collected his closest friends, 12 guys, in an upper room. He said, I need you right now. I need my friends around me. And then they went to pray at the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, he took those friends with him. He said, would you pray? I need, some, I need some friends to pray for me. Then he took his closest companions, and they went a little further with him in the garden. He said, I need you guys to pray with me. You're my closest mates, and would you, would you pray? If Jesus needed friends, how much more do we need them? And let me tell you about this friend. This friend laid down his life for you and me. He gave it up so that we could be friends with God, the most important relationship you could ever have. And here's what he said about that. He said, greater love has no man than this, than a man who lays down his life for a friend. And Jesus wants to be your savior, wants to rescue you from your sin. He wants to be your Lord. He wants you to follow after him because he'll lead you to a life where there's streams of living water, a good place. And he wants to be your friend, closer than a brother.